0: Hello, friends, and welcome to a conversation unlike any other, our Sunday conversations brought to you by the Golf Strategy Academy and Golf Strategy School. Whoa, hold up. That's all good and fun, but what we're doing here is we're talking to real golfers just like you, people who are struggling with consistency, struggling to break 90, and we are digging deep finding out what's holding them back, and helping them make a plan towards success and achieving their goals going forward. And with that being said, let's bring on our next guest. Hey, Golf Strategy School, what's up? My name is Marty Griffin, and I hope you are enjoying our Sunday conversations. Today, I bring with me Julian Gaylor, all the way from down under. How are you doing,
1: Julian? Well, Marty. How are you, sir?
0: I am doing excellent. So, Julian reached out to me online and he volunteered to do one of our Sunday conversations. And so he was kind of telling me a little bit about his game, probably averages, you know, around 25 handicap. His best score so far is 20 over par for 18 and 10 over for a nine hole course. Really what's got his goat right now is course management and, like a lot of us do, kind of trying to go above and beyond what we're capable of, and it just results in kind of catastrophic failures. Julian's getting out there at least once a week, so that's fantastic. Julian, why don't you tell our audience what your goals are over like the next year of golf for you?
1: Yeah, look, over the next year, I'm just wanting to be a player who's consistently breaking 90. So being able to go out there and and do that comfortably, sure, you may have some that are – higher than that and some that are quite low, but just you have that handicap around 18.
0: Very nice. Well, what what's so important about that number for you?
1: I, to me, just from you know being around golf and uh, speaking to a lot of golfers and researchers and so on, so these are, as you call them, the magical numbers, and I feel as though getting to be able to break 90 on a consistent basis, to me, feels like, okay, is a somewhat reasonable golfer. You're not the, the Sunday you know, weekend warrior who's slicing it all over the place and scoring over 100. You can go out on a round, feel confident that you're probably going to do quite well against most people you play against if it's the average, average Joe.
0: So what is it about kind of measuring yourself against that average good Joe, that weekend warrior that's so important to kind of get a, maybe a leg up?
1: Yeah, I just like to be good at everything I do. Um, but I think that, um, but the, I, the reason why I love golf is it's something that as you improve, there is uh, something that's very measurable on that so that you can, you can actually see that improvement based on the score. So that's just not necessarily just technique. It's, it's also the psychology of it, and your course management, as I mentioned, and just being able to combine all of that, that it's, that it's a personal ac- accomplishment just as much as anything.
0: That's awesome that you say that about the the course management and that it it is a personal accomplishment because a lot of people, they get out there and they say, oh, you know, I'm going against Jane or John Doe this weekend. And I've got to beat that person when in reality, it's just, it's you and the course and everybody Mm -hmm. else and the course. And to kind of compartmentalize that and be able to carry that with you and to realize that is a huge step. For for you as a golfer, I think that kind of gives you a leg up because you know if someone else is playing out of their mind, then you know that hey, I I have no control over that. You know if someone goes out and lights it up and shoots, you know, two or three over par, or heaven forbid, three or four under par, when you're playing against them, you've got no control over that. You know, you just- yeah, and I,
1: what I, what I find with that is that um, it doesn't matter if it's golf or it, there's always someone who's going to be Better than you, so unless you're a Rory or a Tiger or a Brooks or something like that, it's like there's. It doesn't matter how as you're improving. If you're always comparing yourself to somebody else, there's always someone who's going to be better. So that's just a losing game.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And when you were talking about course management, and we were kind of going back and forth online before this call, you had you had asked, you know, like what what could I maybe be focusing on on my next round? And I kind of gave you some ideas. And one of the questions that I usually like to ask is can you walk me through your best round ever? And in your little pre-screening, you said that, you know, my best round is a plus 10, but then you shoot me this image saying, hey, check this out. I managed to beat that by one. You know, this right, past it's time it's a, it's a, plus,
1: a plus ten over nine. Make sure everyone realize that's yes, only a plus
0: yes. ten over nine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, plus ten overnight. But now you are—you actually achieved that—that that bogey golf plateau. You know, you kind of met that threshold. What was that round like for you? What was different about that round?
1: Um, to be honest, just because I, I, I approached every hole a little bit differently. Like it, it's, I, as I said, I reached out to you after I um, listened to the stop trying to make birdies podcast, which is phenomenal. If anyone hasn't heard that, please go and listen to it. But um, cause that's what I was doing. I was approaching every hole previously as I was trying to make a birdie. So if I'm might be 190 meters, which is 200 odd yards away from the pin I'm like if I get this on I'll be on with a birdie shot and of course I'm not at skill level where I'm going to uh, land it there and of course this is going to be a green which is you know protected by uh, plenty of sand around there and so and lo and behold, I'll end up in the sand, can't get out. All of a sudden it's a double bogey. Whereas, you know, now I'm going, okay, well I've actually got a couple shots to get onto the green. There's, I, let's just take it easy, play the shots that I'm confident with that I know I'm going to land it in the spot. And then I can approach that green with minimal risk. And that just makes such a difference.
0: Yeah. And I think when we, you know, when we talk about that kind of mindset where people are over aggressive, it can, it can manifest itself in a lot of different ways. I think for the lower handicap golfers, it manifests itself in pin hunting so they're like they're confident that they can hit the green even though the stats say that it's probably only like a 60 to 70% chance from like a you know 140ish yards then they they get over aggressive they go pin hunting and then they end up in that exact situation that you described where now they're dealing with a hazard they have a shot that is exponentially more difficult than what it would have been had they just aimed for the meat of the green and I think when we talk about higher handicap golfers who are up around that bogey golfer, especially for people who are still trying to break 100 on a consistent basis, honestly, I would love to see people to expand their definition of the green to anything within 25 yards of the green. There's a great book called The Lowest Score Wins, where they, they tell people to measure not just greens in regulation, but N G I R near greens in regulation. And I believe the the metric they use is within 20 yards of the green. Because if people just kind of soften that target a little bit and kind of expand that acceptable area, they are going to play to a safer spot. <laughs> they're gonna they're gonna take all that trouble out and they're gonna allow themselves a much easier attempt to at add an up and down for a par versus that one in a thousand that they're going to convert for a birdie. So it's, it's really something that I would love to see people do more often. You know, is that kind of like the mindset that you had that day, just kind of expanding what you thought as, you know, of like a, a green in regulation? Uh,
1: yes. Yeah, so I basically gave myself an extra approach shot. So I, I basically played each hole in reverse. I said, okay, Two putts, you've got two putts, and I'm around um, two putts per hole, which is which is pretty good. Um, and then we went backwards from there. And so, however many shots I had left on the par, add another one. So, if it was a par three, let's go, okay, you've got two putts on the green, that leaves you two shots. We've well, got two shots to actually land on the green. And so, instead, when you're sitting up there at that, um, at the T box, hitting at that uh, par three, instead of stressing about trying to land it on the green, it's like just Get it up there somewhere. I'm aiming for it. I'm, that's definitely my target. But if I, I miss by a couple yards, I'm not upset. Instead, I'm happy. I'm positive. It's like, geez, I've, I've just got to chip it on. I'm on in my net regulation, so to speak, and I'm, I'm good to go.
0: Yeah, I absolutely love that. And especially the fact that you said to play the hole backwards. There's a lot of people that, that can really benefit from that because I honestly kind of think that course architects, they kind of design the holes backwards. They look at, you know, where do I want to penalize people? Where do I want to reward people? And if you just think about where you would have to be, but from the green going back to the tee box, you can save yourself a lot, a lot of hassle. And that's, that's kind of that course management strategy that a lot of people are missing from their game. Um, when you were talking about course management earlier and kind of in our back and forth, Julian, do you think that course management is is something that you identified early on in your golfing experience as like, hey, this needs some polish? Or was it kind of pointed out to you by like a friend or a golfing buddy?
1: It was, yeah, it was probably, you know, honestly, in the last couple of weeks where I um, – I really looked at it because because the thing was, I'd go out and play with some friends who um, they may not necessarily have the same amount of skill as I do, or they may not, and they probably don't know a thing about course management, but they were getting to the green or putting, getting scores quite similar and it was frustrating because in my head I'm like, hey, I can hit the ball you know, 50 yards further than what's going on. But it's because I'm trying to do the hero shots all the time and I'm putting my ego into my strokes. When If you want to worry about your ego, that should be the end score. So just slowing it down and going, well, how can I just play smarter? I've got a good enough basic skill level, but that means nothing unless I'm actually playing the hole smarter.
0: Yeah and that that's a great reminder for everybody. You know, use the ability that you have and you know, you can you can get a better score out of your swing than you would ever imagine. You know, you look at some of the some of the swings on tour, they all look different. If you look at, at like DJ Dustin Johnson, he's got that super pronated wrist. He looks like he's going to snap hook it off the face of the planet. Whereas you look at like Furick or Matthew Wolf, and they've got that big looping swing. That's proof that there's, you know, way different swings out there that are functional. It's about how you apply really the ball flight and that planning of the ball flight to your game. You don't have to have a beautiful swing. You don't have to have a beautiful ball flight. You simply need to have a decent idea of where it's going to come down and you are 10 steps ahead of anyone else. It's just, do you have that mental fortitude to say, okay, you know, this might not look the best, but I needed to kind of come down in this general area and then I'll worry about whatever happens from there. So, you know, when you were, when you were talking about how, you you came across you know your your playing partners and stuff like that who don't hit the ball as well but you find yourself getting suckered into all these hero shots do you necessarily know what was what was drawing you in did you have a kryptonite a weakness that was kind of rearing its head over and over again in terms of those hero shots
1: um look i think it's more so that i come from a health oh, i used to be a competitive bodybuilder so i'm probably bigger than the average guy and can swing a Club pretty well. And so I was kind of like, well, this is my strength against them, is literally my strength. So I'm going to hit it miles further. Uh, But miles further isn't always good when it's miles further to where you can't find the ball onto the next fairway when you have to do a massive rescue shot, where you've got these other guys who you're playing against who aren't necessarily that skilled. They're topping their driver and it's going, you know, 100 meters along the ground. And that's in a better position than yours that you hit. 270 meters or close to 300 yards and it's in oblivion. And so that's, it just, that's what sort of gave me that aha moment. It's like, you need to use this a lot more uh, in a more educated way.
0: And I I love that you say that it was kind of an aha moment. You know, when golfers are out on the course, a lot of times they find themselves in one of those two positions where they are either like the, like the physically more dominant presence. Like they feel they should be able to just overpower a course or a person or they're on that, that flip side. I was always like the skinny kid who just had a really good swing who could get it out there. And it was me scrambling and stuff like that that would just save my scores. But I would see that all the time when I was like a teenager and I'm playing against, you know, a 35, 40 year old guy And he's looking at me like, How in the hell is this 14-year-old smoking at 20 yards by me? And like they would say those kind of things to my dad. And I like I got used to that. So I knew that it actually kind of became an advantage for me as the skinny kid. I could get in their head and just (laughs) wreak havoc, (laughs) which, you know, in a tournament has its place, you know, for social Mm -hmm. Sunday golf, probably not as much. But if you got money on the line with your buddies, absolutely turn every screw mm-hmm. and every, you know, uh, every advantage you can, but it's important for people to realize that whichever side of that coin they fall on, that doesn't have anything to do with how they score. You know, it's not mm-hmm. power. It's not, it, it's not your physical appearance. It's not the clothes you wear. You know, you could see a guy, like I used to play all the time against this guy who would walk out in holy tennis shoes like I could see his toes through his shoes. Didn't ever wear socks. His jean, you always wore jeans on the course, which I didn't like, but they were tattered. He, he like the grips of his golf clubs were falling to pieces. It, it looked like he walked out of a swamp and just wrestled an alligator. And he's one of the best golfers I have ever seen. And it's just like this weird natural ability that he has. He looks like a homeless guy rolling up to the tee box. He's going to play whatever round white ball he can find. and He's probably going to beat you doing it. Like, I don't think I've ever seen this guy shoot more than four over par on nine holes. And it's just one of those things where it's like, don't, don't ever assume because you're bigger than someone else or because you're smaller than someone else that you can't compete or that you will overpower and dominate a situation because You never know what that, you know, five foot two chunky kid from high school can do around a green or, you know, one putting from 20 feet away every single time. I've played my fair share of those guys too.
1: (laughs) And the thing about the power thing that like, even if that was something which is in my favor, that round where I was my bogey round, which is best ever, the driver and the three wood didn't even come out of the bag. That's awesome. Yeah, it was just because it's like you're looking, if I'm going, playing those those holes backwards, as mentioned, let's say it's a par four, if I've got two parts. To make, to make bogey on that, I've got five shots. So basically it means I've got three shots to make it onto the green in my net regulation. And so you don't... Need a driver with that. You play your shorter irons, your seven irons, five irons, whatever it is that you know you can hit straight enough because that's the aggregate total of those three shots are going to get you onto the green and the approach is going to be a lot safer as well.
0: Yeah. And what you're really doing is you're removing that catastrophic result. You're removing the opportunity for a blow up hole because chances are you're not taking a penalty off the tee box. And that's, Mm. you know, it's that, again, I kind of call it mental fortitude where it's like, do I have the discipline, the internal discipline to ignore everybody else hitting driver or three wood or whatever play my own game all the way through the hole and i think that's where a lot of golfers they get it's like peer pressure you know they get sucked into to doing the the hero shots like you said you know when we when we look at course management there's that aspect of it which which you beautifully detailed talking about playing the course backwards from the green uh there's also a part that I believe kind of plays into that, and that's commitment to your decision. Did you have any situations, whether it be in that plus nine round or other situations, where you feel like you weren't necessarily committed to a given shot or club or decision?
1: No, it's plenty of times where I'm not committed on the tee because I'm like, I want to take my driver out, but I said, no, just kidding. It was more so to the point that, <laughs> no. No, like that's the thing is that when I'm going for those high risk shots, whether that's, you know, my three wood from, you know, 230, 240 meters out that I'm trying to land on the green, but as in my backswing, when you should not be thinking about anything, all I'm thinking about is the people playing on the next fairway because I might hit them because when I slice and things, but when you're playing, as you say, you know, a, a confident shot with a cocky swing, is that when I'm playing well within my my realm of, of safe shots, I don't need to worry about that because even if that's a I mishit it, the 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 fallout from that is quite low. So I was able to commit completely to those and, and have confidence with them and lo and behold, they're better shots.
0: That's awesome. So then looking forward at that kind of consistent play around bogey golf, do you have a plan in terms of how to achieve that?
1: Yeah, well, I think that that, that that round was great. I mean, the, the frustrating thing was that round was I had three putts that lipped out, so it could have even been <laughs> you know six, six, so which is even better. So I think it's just more so to continue to to commit to that, so that that's my my, my mantra. So that it's like, yeah, I'm not worried about you know getting the driver or anything or the big shots. So that if it's if it's a low risk shots, let's say there's a fairway which is wide open, sure go for it, but just continue to go to to build that, that consistency up. And then from there, I think it's a matter of, if I'm playing the regular courses go, you know what, this is a hole here or there, which I think I can attack and probably safely get to the, uh, the, the green in two shots instead of three on a par four, so to say, but it's just about keeping that ego in check the whole way through.
0: That's fantastic. Do you have a plan on how you're going to measure the success of your commitment? How are you going to know I think it's
1: working? just that well uh, other than the overall score I think it's more so going to be something I think internally and going okay well how did I How was there any shots in on that round because I always do sort of stop and reflect on it where I did not feel comfortable I felt that was a risky shot um, unless you've got any other suggestions.
0: Well, I that's exactly kind of what I'm picking at. So if you, if you have a way to monitor that, you know, was this truly the conservative shot with the cocky swing? Did I, did I make the correct choice in terms of when to be aggressive and when not to, because I, I I'm very much a numbers person. I love data. It's just something that I love to use to analyze my own game and others. Uh, So what I have my students do is I have uh, kind of like a a pre-shot process that I call following your avenue to success. So you need to analyze, visualize, visualize, and execute on every shot. So the analyzation is what just about everybody does. It's looking at the distance, the wind, all the different factors that happen before the shot. The visualization is something that a lot of people skip over, and that is actually kind of mapping out what that shot is going to look like. For people who struggle with that, I tell them just say out loud what you want the shot to do because it helps kind of keep you focused on that task. And then lastly, uh, executing is not whether or not it worked, but whether or not you stayed committed to that plan. So if you track those three individual things throughout your round, so let's say you're playing a par four, your goal is to bogey it, You do bogey it. You're going to look at those five shots and you're going to say, okay, did I properly analyze on all five of those shots? You know, maybe you're looking like you get down on the green and you had like a 12 footer for your par putt. And you're like, Ooh, you know what? I think that one breaks about a half a cup. I'm going to play a half a cup out. You hit your putt. And it turns out that it was just a dead straight putt. And that's why you missed your par. Okay. Well, I didn't, I didn't do the proper analysis there. I didn't, have a good read so I got four out of the five shots that I took I analyzed correctly all right visualization did I actually kind of mentally walk myself through all five shots Uh, well you know what truth be told I probably didn't visualize that putt going in the hole as as much as I could have okay I'm only going to give myself four out of five on visualization execution did I stay committed to the plan Yep. You know what? I can honestly say that I did stay committed to the plan on all five shots. I hit two conservative shots off the tee box. I got myself up to a very nice place, like well within the range I was hoping for, uh, for my par putt. I thought it was going to break. I played it high. It stayed high. Hey, I stayed committed to that line. It stayed above the hole. Yes. I stayed committed to all five shots. So I get five for my execution score. And if you do that, for every single hole for your entire round, you're going to start to see which part of that mental game needs the most polish, needs the most work. And when we compare that to like PGA pros, they have a success rate of like 90 to 95%. So this is something that is 100% absolutely within your control. I'm a firm believer that you don't necessarily have control over your golf swing in the moment. It is, all the work that you've put in previously, that is the control in in terms of what's happening in that moment. But your pre-shot decision-making analysis, visualization and commitment is something that you do have 100% control of. And if we can control it, we should, and we should do it correctly. And that's a really good way to see if there might be some kind of hidden, hidden cracks under the surface of that kind of course management and mental game approach. How does that sound for you?
1: Yeah, that's fantastic. The frustrating thing is I've heard it all before from you from your other podcast. It's just a matter of implementing. <laughs>
0: uh, I'm, I'm sorry to laugh, but I mean it makes me feel good that you're a listener. Uh, but mm-hmm. trust me, you're you're right in this same boat. Half the stuff, you know, that that I cover on the podcast, it's because it's a weakness that I see in my own dang game. And it's just a matter of, you know, highlighting it, putting some more focus on that, and until it's up to snuff with the rest of my game. So yeah, analyzing, visualizing, and executing, following your avenue to success is something that that can really, really help you. And I think that's one of those things where as you get more and more consistent, you know, down around 90, it's following that, those three steps in that kind of pre-shot process that is really what's going to help escalate the learning process going forward. Because, you know, the more, you know, the more practice, the more repetition we get, we're going to get more and more comfortable with what we're doing physically. And then it's all just a matter of how we're handling that outcome. And that avenue to success is really kind of steering the ship
1: overall. Mm. Absolutely. And I think even that just analyzing the biggest thing which I've been doing recently, obviously, if you're with an approach, shot, you're going to analyze where you want to miss to from the sake of water or yep. bunkers and so on. But now it's just getting to the point of looking, going, okay, where's going to be the easiest Place the safest way to chip on from. Because at the moment, I'm just trying to, sure, you want to get it closer to the pin, but it's like, just get on the green. It's so, like, well, if there's a side of the green where I can do an easy bump and run out compared to having to try and pull a monstrosity of a lob wedge up onto the green, I'd rather yep. miss on that side. Yeah. And so that makes a huge difference, too.
0: Yeah. You don't ever want to short side yourself if you can mm. <laughs> help it, because that's, you know, that's another one of those spots where you're just introducing the opportunity for a catastrophic failure. If, Mm -hmm. you know, if you leave it short of the green, but the pins in the back, you've got nothing but real estate in front of you. I mean, you could putt, you could bump and run. It's probably not going to be a catastrophic result, but if you short side yourself and now you've only got like 10 feet of green to work with before that cup, it's just instinct that you want to get fancy and you're going to go for the gusto and it, there's just such a high probability of that catastrophic failure compared to that bump and run circumstance.
1: Yeah, I mean, that's situation, probably not so much now, but it used to either be if there was that, that short sided chip, it's either, cool, you've got another chip from about three feet head of where you just chipped it from, or you've got a chip now from the other side of the green because you just bladed it straight across. And, um, <laughs> yep, it. yep. Yeah.
0: Yeah, well, uh, Julian, you know, we've talked a lot about, you know, what has worked well for you and maybe giving you, a, you know, some next steps that you could take, you know, looking forward with, with your practice schedule, what is the next thing that you're going to work on?
1: Look, the next thing I'm going to work on is just consistency in my shots. Like I, I use some tracking systems and things on my club so I know how far I'm hitting them all. But it's just that accuracy and so it's just improving that swing. I know that um, I need to improve on my iron swing and it's just a bit of repetition. But what I am guilty of, which is probably the same as everyone else here, that when I go to the range or uh, the indoor simulator, it is the same club over and over and over and over rather than you know, rotating it around. And that's something I need to work on because I know that will help with consistency on the course.
0: Yeah, and even if you do feel like you need to hit one club repeatedly, at the very least, change the target, which is tough to do in a simulator. But hmm. you know, if you're out on the driving range, if you can at least change the target every time, or even if you are working in a simulator, practice hitting one short, just short of your target, then try to hit one just long, and then try to hit one just on, like perfectly on. Mm -hmm. So if you rotate through like short, long, and on, that's going to give you a much better sense of feel in terms of what you can do with your club. But it's also going to keep your brain from falling into that pattern of, well, I can just get it right on the fifth or the eighth or the tenth time. Mm -hmm. So that short, long, Mm -hmm. and then on pattern can really, really help.
1: One thing I've been doing, which I've actually really enjoyed, it's a bit of a game of it as well, is that when I I just started doing this recently, is that when I'm at the range, I'll bring up Google on my phone and write in random number generator and put it between uh, 50 and 250 and I'll just hit generate number and whatever number comes up I have to stop All right, I need to hit the ball that far and I've got to stop and choose which club that will be and then I hit that see how I go with it maybe do two shots I'm not sure then I hit it again okay different number so it's forcing me to have to think and then choose the club that I want to use
0: that's super cool I've never heard of anyone doing that but that's an awesome way to practice because yeah really what we're doing is we're trying to practice that on-demand recall right of our motor skill mm-hmm. So whether it's 72 or 191 or 68, it doesn't matter because you're probably going to come across all those distances in a given year of golf to be able I to – think now that.
1: I need to – I just had a thought. What I can do after that is maybe get a dice made up, which has like on one side fade, draw, stinger straight, then I've got to roll the dice as well. It's next level. 175 draw. Okay, gotta do that now. And so that's next level though.
0: <laughs> I was just gonna say that is some next level stuff. Yeah, if you're if you're doing your shot on command, that is that is next level stuff. That's how I used to practice with my dad. We'd we mm-hmm. would have a we had an indoor facility. It wasn't a simulator because they weren't around at the time. Uh, but it was mm-hmm. like an 80-yard indoor inflatable building, and they had just this <laughs> one great big flag that was a bullseye that would hang down from the middle of it. And my dad would say, hit it with a draw. Now hit it with a fade. And now hit it with a straight shot. And, and he would just call out the shot shape, and I had to hit that flag with the shot shape. So that's some big-time next-level stuff. That's when we're talking about, like, breaking 80 on a regular basis. Yeah. When we're, yeah, exactly. When we're in this position, I would just work on one of those. So if you (laughs) can say, all right, straight, then fade, then straight, then fade. Having one shot shape on demand is awesome because then you can completely eliminate everything on the other side of the hole. So if you know that that ball is going to work to the right, you can aim down the left hand side and you know that you're not going to get in trouble going left. So that was, that was my game for a long, long time. I was totally, I I knew the ball was going left every single time. I would just hang it way out to the right and let her come back. And it's the same principle, (laughs) just using that one shape that you know where it's going to come down and just using it to your, you know, your biggest possible advantage.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely.
0: Well, Julian, I really appreciate your time. It's been an awesome conversation here on our Sunday Conversations. I really, really appreciate you. Thank you again for coming on.
1: No problem. Thanks for the time.
0: All right, that does it for this episode. Again, a big thank you to Julian for coming on and sharing his golf journey and what turned out to be a really cool breakthrough that he had between the time that he scheduled this interview and between the time it happened. So if you would like to join me on a conversation like this, one of our Sunday conversations, all you have to do is go to golfstrategyschool.com slash interview, and you can actually pick your time from my calendar there. If for whatever reason, it doesn't show a time that works for you, that's totally okay. Go ahead and shoot me an email, marty at golfstrategyschool.com, and I will work to find a time that fits for you in my schedule. Until next time, everyone, I will catch you in the short grass. Cheers. All right. Thanks for listening to this episode of golf strategy school. As always, if you want to keep it in the short grass, all you got to do is put those lessons into effect and if you want to see exactly how you fare in terms of your physical performance to other golfers your age, head over to parforsuccess.com/slash griffin, and you'll be able to see exactly where you line up and match up with other golfers your age based off of this free performance assessment that Chris and his team has put together. Again, that's parforsuccess.com slash Griffin to see exactly how well you line up against all the golfers your age, and I'll just drop a link to it in the show notes.